Hello. My teeth hurt. Greetings, everybody. They don't hurt. They feel like they're going to fall. <laughs> Sounds like a sinus issue. <laughs> they feel like they're, like, loose. It is. I have really weird sinus things going on right now. I've sinus issues myself. That very often will manifest itself in Your teeth feeling like they're going to fall out? Yes, very much. That's not a pleasant sensation. No, it's not. I feel like if I bite into something, something bad's going to happen. My cousin, when she has sinus issues, gets like a, a lump in the middle of her forehead that like sticks out. Like a physical? So. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like a unicorn? Well, not like a unicorn, <laughs> but like a bump on the head, like you ran into something. So, it's The human body is weird. It is weird. That's true. How it's also marvelous, associate that with wonderful, and amazing. So, it's uh, speaking wish... of wonderful and amazing, how about this weather, huh? Hey, this is the nicest fair week that I can remember. But but there's no fair. There's no fair, unfortunately. That's the fair. So we, my daughter still has had a goat show yesterday. She was in two classes, took two firsts. Little little dad brag there, and uh, now tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, she's got horse shows. Oh. Uh, up there, so it's basically like fair week without fair food. So, Which what's the point? You know, <laughs> if you can't get your hot not Wisconsin nearly, cheese, not nearly as busy as what a fair, oh, fair I'm sure. week would be. Are there still a lot of people there? Like, it must be parents. Or... Um, no. Oh. <laughs> it's, it well, they're not allowing spectators and stuff. So, so basically, you got your parents and... that are with you. And, um, I mean, it's nice that they're still you doing fill that. Fill out a form of about COVID. Make sure that you're you know not a spreader or whatever. Or if, or if you are, that they can track it, I guess. I don't know. I've, Shelly does all of the brain work. so There's, I, they've, I just hook up the truck and, and They've got one more of those um, carry things. food drive throughs on the oh, 28th. And yeah. I, in my opinion, I haven't gone to one, but it appears to be the best one yet. Because they have the corn dog place, mm-hmm. the lemonade place, the french fry place, the, the pirate corn place. They didn't so, have the... The pirate corn, the the buccaneer corn stuff, or the two bucks in here. Um, yeah, they haven't had that yet. They, I, I knew they didn't when when I was there. Yeah. We gone twice. The first time the corn dog place was open. The second time it wasn't. The yeah. rest of those were all open. This one and, is on the twenty eighth. I think it seems to be the biggest. Yeah. One. So yeah. I like Should my cool. I like my buccaneer. So yes. and welcome to our fair food chat. Yes. Now we could get some food and eat it while we're podcasting. That would be... Can we do that? Why about, don't we do that? Talk about your ASMR stuff. You know. and our, some people would be really disgusted by that, I'm I sure. Think most, I don't really like to hear people I would eating. think most would. I, I, we should I pick would. like the I most disgusting-sounding foods to eat. I just want food, like, so... Do you know why I watch... This is not anything to do with our podcast, but I'll be impressed if you can connect it somehow. <laughs> I watched a documentary one time, like 20 years ago, about how they uh, did sound effects for older movies like Jurassic Park. Mm. I say like Jurassic Park's an old movie, but it was before it all this, now. you know, before all the technological There's stuff. Seventeen sequels down the road. And the guy that did all the sound effects for Jurassic Park, you know what he did to make? I forget what the sound was used for, but one sound effect he was creating is he had a, like a plastic glove on and he cut a cantaloupe in half. And he like just squished, squished his fist in the cantaloupe, and it made some kind of like it was for like a raptor. I don't know what it was for, but something. that's already disgusting. But it was like a squeaking sound, and it was like for like a velociraptor or something. It ended up being, and I was like, so maybe very we creative have... minds. That... Like how do you, how do you think of that? Like you're eating a cantaloupe for breakfast, and you're like oh, this sounds like a velociraptor. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it is. You know, it's funny because we all have that same information available to us, right. but some people get it some people actually see that and think oh velociraptor cantaloupe you know but (laughs) you know i would never think right partly because i don't eat cantaloupe but i would never think that this is going to sound like a dinosaur so you don't eat cantaloupe 
Well, I didn't like it most of my life. Not, then I learned to like it, and then I developed an allergy to it. So oh, it's well, so really that worked out well for me as a, as a rule. So it's but. like the velociraptor of foods for you. <laughs> well, but, you know, in, in seeing this big picture aspect of it, that having all that information doesn't do me any good because I don't see it and respond to it the same way he does. Much like what we're seeing in Acts chapter 17. You did it. That it's not just about information. It's not not just about hearing the gospel or reasoning your way through it and, and having that mental ascent. We all have that information available to us. But it's not just a matter of reasoning. It's a matter of repentance. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's about what we do with that, whether we will surrender our hearts to it and, and actually get it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and see the same thing. So to make those connections, it's bigger than just the mind. And, and so that's kind of where Paul starts. Because all of us, it has to start with the mind. If, if I don't see it, if I don't understand it, then I can't respond to it. So uh, that's that's why Paul says, you know, how can they believe in, in what they haven't heard? And how can they hear if, if somebody doesn't go and tell them? And how can you go and tell them if somebody doesn't send them? So we need to, to recognize that there is a reasonable, rational aspect to our faith. And, and very often throughout the centuries, people have looked at faith and reason as, uh, as not compatible, that they're, they're actually in opposition to one another uh, far too often. And there have been... Uh, major theologians along the way who have reestablished that connection and said, hey, wait a minute, this, there is there's reason in our faith. And then inevitably, because we love the pendulum swing, that will end up going so far that we negate the, uh, the supernatural, the metaphysical, in favor of rational materialistic reason. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not, a, it's not an either or, it's a both and. It, it's that there is... There is a greater reality beyond the material, beyond the physical, beyond the purely rational, and yet our faith is not ever separated from that. God has made us whole people, created in his image with immortal souls, and yet we are uh, also embodied. We are, we are, are physical as well. And so that the whole picture, the whole combination of... Um, of faith and reason together uh, uh, means that that we need to engage our minds. We can't as we can't be Christ followers and check out. Because well, a lot of people talk about having just a blind faith, you know, right. and just and, and that is specifically not biblical. And I don't think I've possibly ever in my life said that loudly enough or often enough. And and it's a pretty regular theme, you know, for anybody who's who's at real life. This is something I've been talking about for as long as we've been around. We have to recognize that God never, ever, ever calls us to blind faith. He calls us to a reasoned faith. That our memory verse for this week from uh, Isaiah one eighteen says, "Come, let's reason together." Mm-hmm. God calls the people of Israel who are in rebellion against Him to settle the matter by thinking it through. Recognize that repentance actually makes sense, and your rebellion does not. So as you continue to see. What I have done as creator from the beginning, when I created all things, to when I called you out as a people who were not to become my people, then there, there's so much evidence for my, for my strength as God, for my justice, for my love, for my people. Uh, and so 
as we embrace the, the reasoned side of this, God gives us a choice. And, and he always has. I mean, that's what Moses says, Joshua says. It. Here's, here's your options. You can live or you can die. You can choose. It's up to you. You, know, you can choose to follow God. Or if that doesn't seem good to you, do, do what seems best to you. But, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're not stupid. We're going to follow God. We will live as a, as a household governed by the Lord. So there's always been this, this choice and reason. And yet at the same time, it, it's always been God as the initiator from the beginning. And we see that repeatedly. So here, as Paul is going into these three cities, um, and he, he is reasoning, in, in each case, he starts out in the synagogue. Not by accident, that's his pattern. He goes first to the meeting place of the Jews, the people who should get it, because they have the most information related to Messiah. So all of the things that are about, um, that are about Christ are already written in the Old Testament. What we know as the Old Testament, what they knew as the, as the scriptures. So they go, they read the, the Law and the Prophets, they talk about it. Paul goes into the, the synagogues and from a theological, reasonable perspective says, okay, here's, here's what you've already known all along about the Messiah from the scriptures. Let me just tell you, here's how this plays out. Here's why some of your thinking was wrong. You think the Messiah only is golden all the time, is, but we see in Isaiah 53 and other places that he has to suffer and die. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I tell you that all of these things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So he reasons with them from what they already know, what they already accept as truth. He goes to Berea, does the same thing. Goes to Athens, does the same thing. In Athens, though, because this is a, a um, an intellectual city, we might look at it as a university city, where they, uh, they're they gathered and they're engaged in the high call of thinking. So they're, they, they debate philosophy, they sit around and talk about these different things. And, and in the Hellenistic world of that time, uh, where in each of these places... It's interesting, uh, we'll see going forward, that, that we see synagogue leaders with Greek names because that's the, the strong Hellenistic influence in, in the world at that time. So rather than like Saul and Eli and, and, and Nathan, we see names like you know Crispus and Sosthenes and stuff. There, there's, there's a major cultural shift. Nick, 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 Nick. <laughs> so, it's like big fat Greek wedding. Yes, there's, yeah. <laughs> I, I still have yet to see that movie. Oh gosh, you're missing and, out. And yet, it makes for some great uh, memes and quotes and commercials. Anyhow, the, 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 the pattern that he has is I'm going to go to the people who claim to know God and reason with the people who claim to know God. Give them the opportunity. And as he gets there, inevitably some people um, understand, accept, repent, turn to the, to the gospel. And others, generally speaking, the, the majority do not. In each of these places, they have uh, God-fearing Gentiles, specifically mm -hmm. Greeks, because they're in what we would call Greece now. So as they're, as they're um, going through this, you see more by Luke's account here, in these three cities, you see more of the God-fearing Greeks receiving the gospel than you do of the Jews. Mm. You get to Athens, you've got this mix, but 
again, as he's talking to, to the Greeks, he's out not just in the synagogue, but in the marketplace, and he goes to the Areopagus where they, they have their intellectual discussions and their uh, religious and philosophical discussions. And he works through these things with them. And as he does, uh, you know, you see the same kind of dynamic among the intellectual elite, if we can call them that, the, the academy. They, uh, some receive it, and others do not. Many do not, and and the intellectual bias keeps them stuck in this idea that I I'm going to believe what I already am predisposed to believe, and while I think I'm a thinker, I'm not thinking enough right, to think past my previous thoughts. Right. And that so, seems kind of stoop. But that's what we all <laughs> tend to do. I mean, right. realistically, even you know, even at real life, we, we we see that pretty regularly where we are bound to a greater or lesser extent, usually a greater extent, by the upbringing we have. So right. if we, you know, if we're raised in a particular church with particular habits, particular traditions, those are the things that we cling to or come back to later. Very often in our younger days, we, you know, we break free from the shackles of tradition and we go off to college and we become young adults and in our independent thinking we think we're doing things so dramatically differently than our parents. And then we end up coming back to the same things, or later finding comfort in those traditions that we that we ran from when we were younger. So. I, I've had discussions about that, and I don't want to get too far off track, but with other religions, uh, and you know, I've asked myself before: Can someone who is Buddhist, for example, and has uh, you know been raised that way and been you know inundated <coughs> with that religion their entire life, hmm. can they be? quote-unquote blamed or can they be you know i don't want i don't know what's the right word but can they you know be at fault for not turning to the gospel not turning toward mm. christianity or not turning toward god when they have been just fully inundated with this one lifestyle this one religion sure um i think it's i, I think different things about that when i think about like a child who doesn't you know have the opportunity to to learn anything different or whatever but an adult person who has been raised this way or had this lifestyle but has the opportunity to be exposed to to the gospel i I, i've struggled with that before sure because it is difficult to break free and not just from religion but just traditions different cultural aspects whatever it's very difficult to break free from those things and i think it requires a a willingness to think above yourself but um, something has to push you toward that. Yeah. Well, and even in that discussion, <clears throat> it, it reflects or belies our, our upbringing, uh, the thoughts that we're predisposed to thinking. Mm -hmm. So we have a tendency, particularly as Americans in our age, to think of fairness. Is mm -hmm. it fair for God to hold those accountable who have, A, never heard the gospel, or B, you know, been raised in a, in a situation that's counter to the gospel or whatever else. Uh, and, and I have told my, my children forever that is among the many F words we don't use in our family. Fair is not a, a viable uh, thing in reality. So when we tend to think about fairness, uh, it, it's, it has to do with this uh, equality that everybody gets the same shot and so on. And, and that's just not real. It's never really been real. That's something we come up with in our mind. Basically, wait, wait. You mean you got two cookies and I only got one cookie? That's not fair. You know, how come 
he gets to you know he gets to drive the car and I don't get to drive the car. That's not fair. Uh, well, because you're only 13. That's how it works. You know, <laughs> it's also so illegal. So well, there's there's so many things that that we get in our heads. Right. So fair is always subjective. It's what do I think is equitable for my situation or or for that situation as I perceive it. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be from my perspective. Justice is different. Which is that's one of the reasons ask, that isn't we that more like justice, right? So that's one of the reasons we struggle so much with justice in our society is because we conflate the two concepts. So rather than seeing justice as what is objectively right, uh, it, it, and and looking at God's perspective of justice in the real world, where people are not equal, created equal, yes. Right. Existing as equal, no. Never have been, never can be. So while you and I have equal value uh, before God, if we go play basketball one-on-one, one of us has an advantage over the other. And who? we won't talk about who that is <laughs> because I would be embarrassed after you beat me. Uh, but the but we're not born with the same talent. Right. We're not born with the same intellectual capacity. Some people are born able to think thoughts that we can't think, maybe about cantaloupe and velociraptors. Um, some people are, are just Some born, people are born into specific situations right. that They're, are, you can't are out do of your anything control. about the right. culture you're, right. you're born into, the color of your skin, the, the geography of your upbringing, all of the your different gender. factors that go into these right. things. Those, <clears throat> they, you cannot be equal in situation right. because of reality. So we tend to then want to manufacture that, which isn't actually justice, it's fairness. And I, again, I don't want to go, you know, off into that. Oh, I really do because I like to go off into that. But, but as we're talking about this, that that idea of how can how can it be right for for these people to be um, held guilty or held accountable when they're in a situation that's not conducive to them hearing or seeing or receiving the gospel. To shorten it as much as I can, the first issue is, who is the judge? It's not me. Right. God gets to make that call. I don't. Secondly... And I get that. I think my brain is just too small to... Well, and that's a, but that's where we are a lot of the time. Right. As people, we're like, well, then he's not a good God. Right. Well, if he is God, by definition, good, by his own declaration, as the creator and definer of good... I don't get to decide if what God does is good or right. It is, and I need to align myself to that. That's, I think that concept there is where we run into sticking points. I think that's the key struggle, and, and others would disagree with me, I think that's the key struggle that we all face is not so much is this reasonable, mm-hmm. but am I willing to accept it? Is God God? And if he is God, then who do I think I am that I get to judge God? Right. And yet we do. And so that's where you know we, we love the idea of free will, human free will, complete free agency. But that's, that's a flawed idea because to the extent that God has allowed us to make choices, and not even allowed but, but built it intrinsically into us in being created in his image, we also recognize that every single one of us has our will corrupted by sin. We, we can't mm-hmm. avoid that in Scripture. So when, when we recognize that, we, that our will has been bound over to sin, our intellect has even been darkened by the presence of sin, 
then I can't make the right decisions. I can't choose of my own volition and free will to follow God because sin keeps me from that, keeps me from making that choice. So then realistically, if, if that's where we are, if I have free will to, to do anything I want to do without any, any you know, outer impetus from God, then I will inevitably, every time, always choose my way over God's way. Right. That's where we are being bound by sin. So with that in mind, the, the idea of fairness that, that comes into us naturally, all of us, needs to be rejected for that reason. Back specifically to the question, how, how do we see those who are raised in, a, in an upbringing who, you know, it's just they're not prone to that? Well, that's kind of the Athenians. They're not, they're not born to receive that. And even, honestly, to a certain extent, the Jews who are, are taught from the time they're born, there's one God, there's one truth, our traditions are, you know, and we see this in the glorious and wonderful uh, Broadway production of uh, Fiddler on the Roof. You know, tradition is huge. Tradition. Right? And you're taught this tradition. And there's a lot of good in that. And it protects you from interlopers, from, from outside thinking that comes in and undermines the truth. But at the same time, when it's truth trying to invade your habits, those traditions can keep you from receiving it. Mm. So I'm, if I'm raised to believe even if we're all christians in 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 this group of whoever that we're talking about and one of us is raised in a home that is rooted in scripture and another is raised in a home that is yeah yeah yeah, we believe the bible but what we really actually practice is church tradition that that we we um this is how we've done it, and the preacher tells us what the Bible says. <clears throat> well, and so yeah, on. I mean, why? That's why there are so many different dom- denominations. Right. So I then mean, we get hung up on that. So we all might be raised in a quote Christian tradition unquote. The the proclivities of that background are going to become obstacles to our faith. In fact, that's what, kind of what we talked about on Sunday in this idea of religious complacency. I I was raised this way. I'm good. Mm-hmm. We're, we're comfortable here. Mm-hmm. Don't rock my boat. Don't don't. I don't want my mind blown with the gospel. That doesn't work for what my grandma taught me, and I love my grandma, and I won't turn my back on my grandma. So therefore, I reject what what you're saying, and that's one of the major obstacles to faith that that people run into. I think all of us, to a certain extent, run into it. And then the the prideful jealousy, the tribalism, as we get into it. How dare you come in here and tell me that grandma was wrong? This was this is my thing. Uh, you know, you, that's fine for you to believe what you want to believe. It's really not because now I'm angry with you. I'm going to pursue you. But no, I'm not going to let you. You know, have the prominence in this. I'm not going to allow this new teaching to. To you know, put a dent in this because now in you're you're hurting the, right. rep, the reputation of my tribe. Right. <clears throat> so, for example, when Luther came in to reform the Catholic Church, if the Catholic Church at the time, the Church, because that was all there was at the time, or essentially in the West anyway. So, if the if the papacy, if the bishops, if they had had really at that time been interested in truth. What they would have said was, you know, Luther's right. Some did, and they paid for it. 
Some did, and they became Protestants. Some did, but didn't have the courage to stand up for it and continued in their way, religiously complacent. But rather than the Pope saying, you know, Luther's right. We need to restore the truth. We need to get back. We need to reform. That was why it was called the Reformation. That's what Luther wanted. He never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. He was not anti-Pope until later. He was not anti-Church at all. Uh, and he wasn't even anti-Roman Church, not, not even a little bit, until later on when they refused to reform and repent. So the spiritual jealousy and tribalism came in then for them to say, wait a minute, this little punk of a monk doesn't get to come in and usurp our authority. Our authority matters. And, you know, he's getting all these followers. We can't have that. We must crush this. It didn't end well in, in, in that situation. But that, that prideful jealousy, that tribal protectionism that we get into, this is what we've got. We have to protect it. The, the religious complacency is more of a being comfortable and I just I don't want to think deeper. I don't right. want to have this question. The, the, when it, that same thing then moves into a tribal protection, prideful jealousy, animosity, anger kind of thing. When I start to see that you're now, I'm not just comfortable here, but I'm afraid that you're going to take power away from this. I'm afraid that you're going to take prestige away from this. And so then we reject the gospel in that way. We also see the spiritual laziness that is so prevalent in our world. I think, I think what, what happens in the synagogues here in Acts, because they are uh, an accepted religion, the Romans and the Greeks both accept Judaism as a, a, a valid religion. We might not adhere to it, but you're okay. You're socially acceptable. There's a certain amount of prominence that, that happens there. Even when you're hated, even when you're persecuted, there's still a, a, a I don't know if I could say respect that, that goes along with it. And being, again, uh, actually sanctioned that, that it's okay for you to practice your religion will keep out new religions, but, but you're good. You, you're, you're an ancient religion. And we see that even today. So when the Jews in this particular case were only, they weren't persecuted as long as they kept in line, if you, right. if you will. Okay. Then later in Christendom, when Constantine uh, has his conversion experience, and not only is, uh, is Christianity no longer persecuted, but it actually becomes a state religion. It, it, you know, there's, it flourishes for a minute uh, and becomes socially acceptable and desirable to be a Christian. What happens then? People become spiritually lazy. We get in. We don't. We don't have the same passion that we see in Acts. We don't see this. This, uh, you know, crazy passion for sharing the gospel and saving souls. We don't see the devotion to the word. People develop a structure. We develop this this big machine of religion, and we get okay with that. The spiritual laziness leads to the religious complacency, which feeds that tribal jealousy, the prideful jealousy that goes along with it. And then we see here in, uh, in Acts in particular, in, in chapter 17, this idea of, of uh, what I'm calling a personal animosity. Now, because of these other factors, we just hate you. Right. Because we hate you, we're going to chase you down. We're going to make this end. And that's so prevalent in our society right now. Whatever, you know, if it's, you know, you see so many folks that are 
divided over race and because of oppressions of the past I hate white people mm-hmm. well and because uh, of perceived slights in our modern society or, or because of uh, you know pandering of whatever people want to call it, pandering of, of the companies and sports now I, I hate black people I'm angry about this and I, of course we don't say it that way right. but that's what it is right. you know we, we have these personal hatreds politically it becomes really obvious because we tie it to names right. so then my you know my hatred is I hate Donald Trump I hate Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or Barack Obama or whoever you know I, I have this personal hatred therefore no matter what you do I will find a reason that I believe it's wrong right and I think that has been going on for a long long time oh, sure. but it's in the forefront now and it used you know. to be almost <clears throat> I guess I'm the first thing that pops to my mind is uh, Saturday Night Live Politics have been a huge thing on Saturday Night Live for years, sure, yeah. and whoever is in office—I'll use the president as example—they they made fun of Clinton, they made fun of Bush, oh, yeah. Bush one and two. You can go back to the, right. the Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, right? You know, but it—you're it, right in saying that it seems to. So so political figures have always been you know targets sure. for everybody, but it seems to have taken a turn in recent An years ugly where, turn. where it used to be like oh yeah we can make fun of them for whatever, but now it's like it is it's ugly yeah. it's it's ruthless and and, and very very partisan and, right. and not really even partisan it is but but because of this it's not just a, a good natured ribbing. Or even a disagreement, or I dislike this person. Right. It is a personal animosity. Right. And so, you know, you look at, you know, even Johnny Carson or, mm-hmm. or Jay Leno right. or whatever. They made fun of everybody. Right. You know, uh, Saturday Night Live would make fun of both parties. Right. It, a lot of times you didn't realize where people might fall on the political spectrum. Right. Um, and so they, with the whole, um, you know, the whole comedic aspect of it, you didn't know because you're making fun of both sides. Right. Then it just got hateful. Then you start attacking families. And right. there's so many ugly things that go on. I don't care where you stand politically. I just want to see you not be so hateful mm-hmm. about it. Uh, you know, and I've used Tom Hanks as an example. And I, I hate to ever use individuals as, as examples because they may very well completely disappoint or there may be information I'm not aware of but I remember you know Tom Hanks prior to the 2016 election uh, didn't have a good thing to say about uh, the Republicans period he's a pretty strong liberal and when I say liberal I mean liberal in an older sense than what we usually see today where we're talking about more of leftism but anyhow uh, Tom Hanks staunchly opposed uh, Donald Trump uh, was very outspoken about it but after the election he said you know I hope I'm wrong Mm-hmm. I, I hope that the guy does really well. Now, I can't speak to the sincerity of it, but I think the fact that he mostly stayed out of the press after right. that right. speaks to the sincerity of it. But regardless of whether he liked Trump or not... And he had a platform he, to say such a he thing to, did. to and, millions and of so people. So many did. Right. You know, and, and he said, if, if I'm wrong and he succeeds, we all succeed. Right. What mattered more to him, at least in, in that statement, what mattered more was not this person, but the overall right. success of all of us. That personal animosity that, that falls into this isn't really about politics. It's about the fact that our hearts 
tend to let our hatred of a person block us from a better, greater truth. And that's one of the things that is an obstacle to faith, obstacle to repentance. I would come to church, but that person goes mm-hmm. here. I can't tell you how many people I've run into over the years. was like, well, I'd love to come visit your church, but my ex goes there or whatever mm-hmm. else. And that's really hard. And, and as a divorced woman, I'm sure you can understand that. Sure. It's really hard. I would hard. have a very hard time coming to a, a place where my ex was. Absolutely. And, and yet I've seen people... And Here beyond. in our own church family, get to a place where they're as as hard as it was, as much animus as there was, right? Uh, in some fairly acrimonious situations, I a couple of years down the road, then I look out while I'm preaching and I see uh, the ex-husband and the ex-wife with the husband's parents sitting there, right? And they're all basically sitting in the same area, right? right. Not not because they're pals but because we got to move past that for something bigger in that case it's the child or the the faith the fact that we both have claimed christ now maybe you don't (laughs) i know you know this story when my uh my son gabriel was dating kayla his his now wife in high school and uh and, and she received christ you know, I talked to her about it. I said, hey, you know, this has to be more than a dating kind mm-hmm. of thing. What happens, you know, if you guys break up? And she said, well, uh, he'll probably have to change seats because this is my seat. <laughs> but, but, Good but but that's really what it comes right. down to is right. I'm not giving up Jesus right. for you or anybody. Right. But, you know, we'll have to figure out how to adjust to it. Right. Because the the truth of the gospel is bigger than our personal animosity, and then of course we talked already about the intellectual bias that we saw in Athens, mm-hmm. which it, it really it, it's it's on display there. But it's the same thing that we see even with the the, uh, the Jews who refuse it in the synagogue. I am biased toward what I already believe to be right thinking, and therefore I'm not willing to entertain this. Mm-hmm. There's a place of strength in that. When I know the truth, I don't need to listen to somebody tell me opposite. Right. When I know how math works, and you're going to come in with a new understanding of math in which 2 plus 2 does not equal 4, I don't need to spend time entertaining It's called that. Common Core. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't need to spend time entertaining right. foolishness. Right. However, if, if you come in and say, that, you know, the math is still the math, truth is still truth, but here's a different way of teaching it. Maybe Common Core, maybe whatever else. Don't do it. Then I need to be willing to actually hear that right. and listen to it and say, okay, here are the benefits. Maybe it doesn't work quite the way you say or whatever. But but if I don't have that conversation, then I might and be at least passing. wrestle with it. Exactly, wrestling is the key, and I think that's one of the reasons that wrestling that, is the key that Christians are so shallow in our day, in in what we see as evangelicalism, which looks nothing like evangelicalism of the past, where people did wrestle with right. the scriptures right. and truth. Even if you come to decide that's not reality. Absolutely. You're still just giving it the time to digest it and think about wrestling it. Wrestling was the nature of Israel. That's why God gave them the name Israel when, when Jacob was wrestling with God. Uh, that he, he chose that. He could have stuck with Jacob. He gave him a new name. Struggled with God, wrestled with God. God wants us. And not us. as a negative right, sort of thing. Right. God wants us right. to grapple with truths so that we actually own it, so we actually have thought it through. That's why Jesus said, well, if you're going to come to me, count the cost. Right. Don't get halfway in and realize, oh, this is too much for me. 
I feel like we need to do another podcast because you said that uh, on Friday that you had questions already going into it. I did, and, and now I, I feel like I have 25 those, so. more. Yeah. And I'm just, I've been watching Hamilton a lot. And there's okay. a line in Hamilton where he's talking. We were about, watching Hamilton, my daughter's dog that she left at our house for us. Oh, know. different, so a different yeah. one. And there's a line, there's the a line in Hamilton because Aaron Burr is kind of like just, doesn't really have a stance on mm-hmm. anything. And, uh, <clears throat> Except duels, he's pro duel. He was anti duel, oh, okay. but then he didn't. So, so there's there's two lines there's up. two lines in Hamilton. About. In the beginning of Hamilton, Ham, Alexander Hamilton says, "If you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for?" Hmm. And I'm kind of relating it to that because when you have a quote unquote blind faith or you're not willing to to wrestle with anything, then if somebody challenges that in any way. You're done. Because, yeah. it, it, well, why do you believe that? Well, because it's what my family's always believed. Well, that's silly. Right. You don't have a real stance on that. And I don't, I don't know. I think that there's been this common misconception. I know we're way over time. I know there's been this common misconception. Aren't I feel we like, always? So. Well, I feel like especially on social media, I feel attacked uh, sometimes because you'll see people who you know are not Christians or, or religious in any way, and they'll attack Christianity and kind of... Put it in a light where it makes Christians seem stupid, hmm. for or or make them seem like they just have a blind faith, or this this scientific thing and this scientific thing and this scientific thing go just to, totally against Christianity, and that I think drives me to want to learn more right. in my faith, and because there are there's plenty that I don't know, yeah. and. Christianity isn't for dummies. I mean, it's not. No, that's sim- very true. In fact, most historically, most of the the greatest breakthroughs in society and culture and human progress have come from those from, at the very least, a theistic worldview, and more specifically, from a Christian worldview. Right. Uh, even during even during Middle Ages, I mean, there are so many things that that uh, came from our understanding of an ordered world created by God with purpose and direction and anyhow that the what you just described is very much like the the obstacles to faith that we see here Mm -hmm. where the personal animosity mixed with the intellectual bias becomes an intellectual bullying Mm -hmm. and christians unfortunately because we have had (laughs) christianity was described uh, at one point as our, our contemporary evangelicalism was described as 3,000 miles wide and an inch deep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, I just heard J.I. Packer talking about, I think he was quoting maybe Lloyd-Jones or somebody. But um, but that's that's part of the malady that we're dealing with, is because we don't have deep roots, because we haven't wrestled with these truths, we don't stand for things, and, and we want to get along with everybody. Mm-hmm. We want a nice, comfortable, complacent, lazy Christianity. That was another Aaron Burr thing. He said, talk less, smile more. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't smile, we right. shouldn't get along. But there, just like we saw in previous chapter with Paul avoiding unnecessary controversy, there are times when you need the controversy. Right. How do you make that decision? How do you make the, the, the discernment between when I need to stand and when I need to just let it go? Right. You do that by having roots, right. by, by wrestling with the scriptures, knowing what you know, knowing not just what I believe, but why I believe it mm-hmm. as a reasonable faith so that in this reasoned faith, I my heart is completely clinging to Christ. Right. I am satisfied in Christ right. 
because, not, not in spite of the facts, but because of the facts, because I've wrestled with it. And so Christians today very often see these things. They get intimidated. Why do they get intimidated? Why do they lack confidence? Because you haven't put in the right. work. The Bereans were of no, more noble character because they put in the work. They studied the scriptures. So when Paul came or any other teacher, and there were lots of folks coming around with, with various teachings, when they would come is real easy. What you're saying matches the word. What you're saying doesn't match the word. Well, Jesus himself, whenever they tried to trip him up, okay, I'll, when the scripture says the scripture. this. And he was never intimidated right. because he is the word. Right. You know, as he's, but that was his he go-to. He knew who he was. Right. He knew who God was. Right. He knew, and knew that was, how that worked. That was the only defense he needed. We don't. Right. That's the problem we run into. Right. We're theologically shallow. We don't have a good grasp on doctrine because we expect someone else to give it to us right. rather than to wrestle with it. We shy away from difficult questions and then we fail in our discipleship in that what we do know, we don't follow. Mm-hmm. We're afraid to stand up in a world where where we're going to be persecuted and we let that shake us to the core. We're, you no, know, I'm not willing to go that far. We have to be willing uh, that's one of the reasons I love the, the study we're doing on Wednesday nights in the Pilgrim's Progress so much. To see Christian on his way to the celestial city facing, in, in a book written in 1678, that nails our contemporary experience so completely nothing changes. in such detail nothing changes. In, in how the devil attacks us right. and how we stumble. And, and as we go through it, what keeps him going is his conviction because of his connection to the book. He knows that there is a judge and a judgment, and he wants to be on the right side of that. And I could take these easier paths. I could follow these other voices that are, are, are taking me down something that seems so much easier, except for I learned that lesson. I've been burned. I know that there is one way. I'm going to follow that way, and it's going to cost, and I'm going to pay the cost. That's how it works. So that's as we look at all of that, the you know wrap up with the core reality that you know the receiving the gospel uh, takes more than reason; it takes repentance. We will stop there because we're way over. But uh, yeah, I feel like we could have a whole other podcast about this. So yeah. that, if you do, if you guys do have any questions or comments or anything, feel free to email us or uh, leave a message on Facebook, and we will or leave a voicemail at two six nine seven five six RLCC do that too and we can always come back to it and talk about it more if anybody has anything else they want to discuss so thank you guys for listening today and we will catch you later i'm sorry